Okay, Mayor, we're ready now. Mayor Finkeldey, thank you, Bojo. Welcome to the November 2nd, 2021 City Commission meeting, election day edition. If you've not gone out to vote, you have until seven, so get out to the polls. In the meantime, um, we have a meeting and we will start with a few words from Sherry Riedemann, our city clerk. Actually, Mayor, I will start. Actually, I'm sorry, I knew that, Porter. <laughs> Porter starts, sorry. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, everyone. I just have a few housekeeping items for this Zoom meeting tonight. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name each time you speak for the benefit of those participating remotely. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to Mayor Finkeldey. Mayor Finkeldey, thank you, Porter. I'll now take roll call. Vice Mayor Shipley? Yes. Commissioner Nanda? Yes. Commissioner Lawson? Here. Commissioner Bully? Here. Mayor Finkeldey, I'm present as well. And now we'll hear a few words from Sherry Cloak. Uh, Sherry Reedeman, our city clerk. I'm having trouble tonight. Sherry Reedeman, our city clerk. Let's try that again. Thanks, Sherry. Thank you, Mayor. Um, just a few procedural reminders. Commissioners and staff, please state your name and title each time you speak. Mayor, when a motion is made, please call on commissioners individually to provide their vote and announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. When public comment is sought on an item, the mayor will first call on those participating in person. Individuals wishing to provide public comment should approach the podium following social distancing and safety protocols. Participants are required to wear a mask, but may remove their mask while making remarks at the podium. Please state your name before speaking and your comments will need to be limited to three minutes. The mayor will then call on those participating virtually. Individuals providing public comment via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. The raise hand function may appear in different places on your Zoom menu, depending on the device you are using and which version of Zoom you have. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute and state your name. Comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you. Mayor Finkelai, thank you, Sherry. The first item on our agenda is to approve the agenda. The City Commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Does any member of the Commission like to reorder the agenda? If not, I look for a motion. This is Commissioner Anada. I move to approve the agenda. Commissioner Larson, second. Mayor Finkelheim, there's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkelheim, aye. Passes 5 to 0. We're now on to the consent agenda. 
All matters listed on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be approved by one motion. There'll be no separate discussion on those items. If discussion is desired, that item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. First, does any commissioner have an item to pull off the consent agenda? Vice Mayor Shipley, B8D. Mayor Fingal, B8D, any other items to be pulled off the consent agenda by a commissioner? Seeing none, is there anyone present at City Hall who would like to pull a matter off the consent agenda? Is there, do you have any items on the consent agenda you would like to comment on? Okay, uh, no, no, Mayor. Mayor Figlai, thank you. And if any person uh, from the public on Zoom would like to pull a matter off the consent agenda, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature. Let Sherry know and she'll call upon you. There are no additional items to pull. Mayor Fingalai, thank you, Sherry. I now look for a motion on the consent agenda. This is Commissioner Arnold. I move to approve the consent agenda, accepting item B8D. Commissioner Larson, second. Mayor Fingalai, there's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Fingalai? I passes five to zero. We now have item B8D, Vice Mayor, you pulled that item? Go ahead. Uh, Vice Mayor Shipley. Um, yeah, so first I just wanna say that I think it's very exciting. Um, I think it's really clear-eyed and creative. So, you know, I, I don't know if Kyle worked on it alone, but if there was any staff that worked on it, it's, it this is really exciting. Um, as has been pointed out in the discussion with planning, um, non-conforming uses are really unclear and kind of confusing, and I'm sure we all know someone who's bumped up against them here and there. But I do have some questions, um, and um, so hopefully Kyle's here to just kind of chat with me a little bit. <laughs> Mayor Fingalai, he is, so go ahead, Vice Mayor. I'm with planning. I, I'm ready to chat. Hey, um, uh, Vice Mayor Shipley, thank you again for this. Um, okay, so uh, I, this is not any particular order and I'm not leading to anything. I just, again, I'm very excited about this. So um, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about um, the for residential, um, your threshold was 15% of the floor area and 25% for non-residential. Um, in contrast, I think it was, 50% in the former version. Could you talk to me a little bit about um, why you set it up that way? Yeah, Kyle Kelly with planning. Um, when we were setting up the thresholds for the administrative processes, um, we wanted to be very intentional about, um, we didn't want to set like where the bar is now, make all of everything there administrative. That did not seem like the, the, right, um, the right answer to that. But we did want to give some leeway in circumstances where, um, you know, the intent of that particular section are for the, like, probably those more back of house type of uses, more incidental types of uses. So there would be some floor area that would come into play there. Um, but we wanted to, like, lower the threshold so that we could, uh, I guess, kind of streamline the ones that would be going through that process. 
Um, I think, you know, if I'm being honest, I don't know that there's a universally correct answer to like, what is the right number? I, we anticipate that if over time we notice that, you know, maybe nothing is hitting those standards, maybe those are, it's too restrictive. Um, so there might be some adjustment over time, but we wanted to decrease those standards for what could go through an administrative process while letting everything else we would be able to, to catch up with the special use permit process. Does that answer your question, Commissioner? Uh, it does, Vice Mayor Shipley. But also, if, if I understand correctly, you know, uh, as an example, as an example, the applicant um, that brought this to us was asking for 100% um, in his original request. Uh, if the way you have it set up, he could go through the SUP process, and that might play out the way the applicant or someone else would need that to play out. Kyle Kobe with planning, yes. Um, in the case of the, the applicant that initiated, that, um, I guess, uh, kicked kick this off, that would go through the special use permit process. We would evaluate that um, through through there, go through planning commission and city commission. Um, so yes, you are correct. That would be the special use permit version of this as opposed to the site plan version of this. Um, Vice Mayor Shipley, um, that kind of leads me to one of my other uh, questions again. Not um it's too complicated um if so initially you uh staff will evaluate it um to either be um it will be able to go through administratively or it would need to rise to this sup level if you get through the administrative process and realize you're not coming to the place staff needs to come with an applicant would they just push it to the SUP process, or would there be some kind of appeal process where the applicant would go to planning or something like that? Um, Kyle Kobe, planner. Um, I, it, I, I think I, if I'm understanding the question correctly, basically um, what you're asking is how we would evaluate when a particular application went through which route. Um, you know, when, when it was first submitted, we would check it for those first three standards that are that are up front. Um, the, the third one of which mostly just being a way of accounting for the remaining standards um, and provisions of the code that would be applicable. Um, I know that that's kind of worded a little bit broadly, um, and I don't know if that's kind of playing into um, the question here or not, but we kind of needed to structure that broadly because there are so many different versions of how this might wind up going. Um, that the intent of that is just all of the other standards still apply. Um, if they were not able to make it through the site plan process, if they didn't qualify for one of those, I suppose there would be a way to appeal an administrative decision. There'd be a route for that. Um, but, you know, we, we tried to structure this section of the code to pretty clearly state when something was able to go through the site plan process. but. Essentially, anything else would be a viable candidate for the special use permit process. So I hope that I answered that question. If I did not, uh, I, I can I can start over. No, Vice Mayor Shipley, that's great. Thank you. Um, uh, I'm going to jump around again a little bit. Um, let's see. Under change of use C, number two. Um, the non-conforming use may be changed to another similar or less intensive use. Um, what did you all mean by intensive? Did you mean um, 
in, entirely about zoning density or, or did you, what, what, what was, what was your definition of, of intensive there? Kyle Kirby with planning. Uh, so the change of use section and all of the subsequent sections, so change of use, moving, and loss of non-conforming status, and I get there are a couple other ones. We There were no actual material changes to those sections of the code, but essentially all that we did with those was we, we moved them up one level uh, because of the restructuring of that top part. But to answer your question, I think just generally in terms of how we determine intensification of a use, Parking is a very common um, uh, point that we use for that. It's not, uh, I don't know that that's a 100% of the time that's the only factor that plays into it. There are some other things, operational characteristics, hours of operations, things like that could play into those kind of evaluations. But that's essentially how we look at intensification or other changes to the use, any given use. Um, Vice Mayor Shipley, since we're kind of by the moving section, which also didn't change, um, I was, uh, again, not to use the applicant as an example, because we've got lots of other examples um, to look at. But um, I, when I saw it come through requesting 100%, I was kind of confused by that. Um, if, if someone, and, and in this instance, the non-conforming use is that it's a bar downtown, right? So um, th um, they couldn't say by the building next door to them, punch a hole in the wall, and now they've got extra space for their bar. That would be considered moving by this definition. Is that correct? Kyle, Kobe with planning, in the scenario that you're describing, they would be 100% relocating their opera. If they were like abandoning the location that they're in now and then moving to the new location, I think that's what we would determine to be move, uh, moving that use where um, if they were to punch a hole in the wall and just extend the use, that that would be more the extension of the non-conforming use because they would still be using their current space. They wouldn't be picking up and, and full-scale relocating where what the applicant indicated in that email was they want to expand 100% of their current floor area where they would retain their existing area and then expand out into the adjoining structure. I see that Jeff has turned his camera on, so he might have something to add as well. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Vice Mayor, I think to your question, the moving has to occur on the site or in the parcel that's already in play there, so it can't be moved around a lot. But in the scenario that I think, that if I followed the, the scenario correctly, if a bar was to punch a hole through a wall and move into a new space, that would be an expansion of a non-conformity that goes across there, so that would be an expansion level, not a movement level of it. So because movement has to occur within the parcel of the site in question. So that, that's the key for the, the movement part there. Uh, Vice Mayor Shipley, so sorry, I'm not finding in here. One of the thresholds I thought was um, uh, not expanding the um, uh, number of people that could be in the space. I'm sorry, looking for it here. Um, so if you doubled the amount of people you could have in a bar, wouldn't you be, in essence, um, creating more nonconformity? Kyle, Kobe, with planning, I think in that scenario, that would be that would be viewed as a as a proposed expansion of the nonconforming use. And if somebody wanted to go down a path 
like that special use permit application and we would review it that way. Okay. Um, Vice Mayor Shipley. Um, um, so we'll go to another bit here. Um, it, it's really great that you, um, the staff was being really cognizant of um, expansion of dwelling units. Um, and especially since we haven't really talked about accessory dwelling units yet. Um, however, I do kind of see an inconsistency where um, one wouldn't be able to add a bedroom to a non-conforming um, uh, house. But if I had a regular house, just at my house, I could add I could add a bedroom and it wouldn't be a problem. So um, I wondered if either of you had any thoughts about that. Oh, Kobe, with planning, I think the answer to that would be um, the definition of what we would consider a dwelling unit. So adding a bedroom would not necessarily constitute the addition of a dwelling unit. So a dwelling unit, generally speaking, is a bedroom, a bathroom, and a kitchen. So if all somebody was proposing to do was add a bedroom, unless it was perhaps a multi-dwelling structure or something like that, where it, the the uses defined based on bedrooms or something, I'm, I'm, I don't know that that is entirely accurate. But in the case of a duplex, let's say you've got two dwelling units and they both have two bedrooms. If you were adding a third bedroom onto one of them, that would not be an increase in the amount of dwelling units. That would just be an increase in floor area, essentially based on how duplexes and dwelling units are defined, if that makes sense. So you would still be able to propose an expansion to a duplex in a way that would not also increase the amount of dwelling units. Uh, yeah, Vice Mayor Shipley, I'll just, I'll tell you why I, I, my brain went that way. I've been studying um, accessory dwelling units one thing I've seen in several places, and I've seen them here too, um, is where you add a bedroom and a bathroom and you have a door and basically that's an apartment and maybe you share a kitchen or maybe you don't. Um, so through the process, the site planning process, you guys are, I trust that on most instances, you're gonna figure out if that's something that's going on, but to a certain extent, it's pretty hard to enforce that kind of behavior. Um, which sort of brings me to one of my next questions and maybe something you're referring to there. I think probably a lot of us have been in the older three-story houses and they've been chopped into different mm -hmm. apartments. So would that be something that is technically non-conforming um, that would uh, maybe be able to, uh, would or wouldn't be able to add a bedroom or a unit based on um, how you've rewritten this? Kyle, Kobe, with planning, I think that's a difficult question to answer um, across the board just because there, it would depend on what that use was, where it was at, and how it came into being. So if what we were looking at was a congregate living residence where it has already been site planned as that, um, they would just go through, like, I guess, their standard, uh, a standard issue site plan process. Where if it was a situation where it was a an established non-conforming use, so a, a registered non-conformity um, as, say, a multi-dwelling structure in, an, in a single dwelling only zoning district. Um, that scenario would be probably be where this, this code would come into play. And we would look 
at again it's it would be very dependent on the context of that situation and the details of that particular structure that particular use as far as if it would qualify as an expansion of a non conforming use or if it's just a brand new thing at that point if what they were doing would kick it out of let's say a duplex into multi dwelling structure for just for example but there are so many different versions of non conformities and a lot of different um, classifications for different types of uses that do have a lot of those very nuanced differences between them. So we'd have to look at that on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, yeah, I did notice in your explanation that uh, it wasn't lost on me that you explain um, the difference between a duplex and a multi-dwelling structure, of course, a conversation we've had not that long ago. Um, uh, so, okay, so another thing I wondered, um, uh, also something that didn't get changed, um, and it's number two, when the building or structure um, gets damaged to 60%. So if I understand then this, again, this didn't change, but it, but it was food for thought. Um, so if poor Mike Logan was hit by a tornado and 60% of this building was gone. And again, his nonconformity is an entirely based on um, having to serve a certain amount of food and you know, not having to certain, serve a certain amount of food to have alcohol. That's his nonconformity, right? There's, his bar is perfectly fine other than that. Uh, so if he's hit by a tornado tomorrow and he loses 60%, he can't rebuild is the way I read this. He can't have a bar again. Kyle Kobe Planner, I believe that is accurate. Um, I we have the, that this particular provision. I think that the only exception is in three below that, where there is an exception for detached dwellings. Um, yeah, but by and large, if you've got a registered nonconformity and it burns down or is otherwise damaged, um, you know, past that threshold then that would constitute a loss of non-conforming status unless Jeff is about to overrule what I just said. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. No, I, would, I agree with Kyle. I think the difference in that scenario is, is that the establishment may lose the grandfathered liquor license, but the use of a bar may still be potentially there and available. It would just have to conform to the code that is currently adopted when the bar is reestablished. So the, it's a difference about the, the, the grandfathering of the liquor license versus the grandfathering of the use, if you will. Vice um, Mayor Shipley, thank you. Um, although that does lead me to what uh, Kyle just mentioned was the, um, the next item. Uh, Non-conforming non detached dwelling structures can't be rebuilt to a greater density than existed before the damage. In, I mean, I can't... I, think I can think of some things we've even seen in the last couple years where the zoning changed around um, something where it was now maybe appropriate to have um, more dense zoning. Um, what are your what are your thoughts about that? I mean, I see what what obviously I can see what what they're trying to protect here. But also we I think we've seen a lot of change and I'm sure we're going to see some more. So I wondered if you had any thoughts about this. Kyle, go ahead, Jeff. Jeff Craig, Planning and Development Services. Kyle, sorry about that. Didn't, didn't need to tread on toes there. 
Vice Mayor, if I follow your question correctly, I think what it is, the code allows a couple of different options for a homeowner. If they have a non-conforming use and they'd like to maintain it, it allows that to be there and available. It also doesn't prevent a homeowner from availing themselves of the current zoning district and the permissions that are there. So if there is a change and they would like to move in that line and come to meet the current zoning district and its qualifications, they can certainly work to go in that angle if they so choose. But it does give them a little bit of a two-track option, if you will. And Kyle, feel free to add to that if I have wandered astray. Kyle Covey, Planner, I don't have anything to add to that. Okay, um, I want to I want to push a little bit more on the in this instance the alcohol use and expanding it. So if the if the theoretical purpose of the label non-conforming is to um, well, like I think someone said at the planning meeting to bring things into conformity or bring them up to code. In the case of the liquor license, that's not really what the goal is. Or in your example of the duplexes, the duplexes are just, it's just bad luck. They're where they are. They're not going anywhere. Um, so um, in, in the case of the liquor license, though, um, the theoretical purpose of that is to not expand bars downtown. So if you double the capacity of a bar to have patrons, haven't you kind of done the opposite of what you were trying to do? Kyle Kobe Planner, I think, and I might let Jeff add to this, but I think the intent, and, and I wasn't around when, when the uh, those standards came into play, my understanding of the intent is not so much to prevent like more capacity for people to be in a use or to enjoy or um, otherwise patronize that kind of use so much as it is to prevent additional uses from coming online where I think it is a it it's a slightly different situation in in a case like this where if it is an existing use that is expanding we're not adding a new bar or lounge use it would be the expansion of an existing one I get that that's a bit of a fine line um, but I think that that would be a, a point of differentiation. I think I used a real word just now. Vice Mayor Shipley, Jeff, did you have any, did that sound good to you? <laughs> Jeff Craig playing in development, sir, I think Kyle encapsulated it very well there. You know, I, I think the one of the driving purposes of this text amendment, the way that we looked at it was, is that a lot of the economies and, and things are changing in the way that you do business. And um, some of those back of house features that you have seen maybe have expanded or changed to meet different codes or um, you know, different setups and things that we didn't envision many years ago. Um, and, you know, to pick on, on one, you know, if you had a, a music venue and you know some of that equipment has gotten bigger and the space required for that has gotten a little bit more and so to kind of expand and come with time you have to have a little bit more space to do it and have that ability that was the intent to kind of go into those things and, and talk about them the other one is, is is you got to kind of figure out is if 
you know, if an establishment was always a stand-up establishment, but is now trying to integrate seats or change their floor plan in a way that to kind of move with the times, this does give them some of that flexibility to not necessarily increase the capacities, but moves that space around in a different configuration. It gives them some different options and appeals to kind of work with what they're having to do to, to stay up with the times. Um, and I'm sure a business owner would, would I'm probably not conveying it as great as a business owner would, I'll be quite honest there, but it, it's really, it's just trying to allow people to have some flexibility to, to meet the changing conditions that we're seeing in both the, just the economies of items, but also in the way that building codes and architecture is taking hold. Uh, Vice Mayor Shippa, uh, yeah, I, I don't disagree. And again, that's kind of why I think this is very exciting. I'm Like I said, I'm sure we've all seen people kind of struggle. Or to Kyle's point in his memo, you know, not even bother to come forward um, with the change they wanted to make because they just thought that's not going to go through. And, um, so this is, um, this is pretty great. And then some of the other stuff, the striking the zoning appeals and all that makes it a lot more streamlined. So I, I do really appreciate that. Um, um, and it looks like maybe some things will be going through administratively instead of the SUP process. Hopefully this is the way you've set it up so that there's less of the two-step for the applicants and that's a lot of work for staff and planning to go through those meetings. <laughs> so um, I, I, I appreciate all that. Um, um, so, um, so I, well, I will, I will again, just push a little bit on, on the premise of um, the nonconformity and for bars downtown being what, what probably some of the problem is. And again, only because probably the whole community should have a conversation about that. Certainly people have brought that up in the past, um, whether we should reevaluate that. Um, but I only push a little bit because it's something I've heard from other business owners downtown and certainly um, people who have been downtown a lot longer with businesses um, who were around when they did come up with that idea um, have a strong opinion about um, what the purpose of it is. Um, so, and then the last thing I kind of just thought would be interesting to talk to you guys about, um, I, I presume Kyle um, the the second, you know, whether the proposed text amendment is consistent with the comprehensive plan. I thought this was kind of fun because it was really the first time I'd seen someone do this. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I've read some things go through planning, but um, uh, like looking at things in plan 2040 that this speaks to directly, I just found that really interesting. Um, um, so in like, for example, he mentioned chapter three growth and development residential, um, encourage integration of higher density residential development through compatible design. Well, in theory, that's not actually what you're trying to do with this. Um, um, but some of these other things, you know, functional aesthetic, unique, um, it's kind of cool to see those goals coming through with a policy like this. Um, so I just kind of wanted to make a little bit of, of a comment about that. Um, the other thing I think is interesting is, and I think uh, the applicant um, mentioned this, that like when you do come forward with stuff like this, you, you end up bringing some other things up to code maybe you didn't know about um, while you're at, the, at it. So this will, in addition to getting, maybe getting people to be 
um, using their space a little better, but also maybe getting some things fixed they didn't realize were out of compliance, um, which I'm sure you guys um, really appreciate. Um, but yeah, I just um, I just wanted to share my appreciation for this and uh, be nerdy about it. I was very exciting, and um, I think. I, I think this will help a lot of people, um, hopefully uh, people hear about this change and um, try to think of ways to take advantage of it. So I just want to thank you all for the work you did on this. It's really exciting. Mayor Finkeldy, good conversation there. Do any other commissioners have questions on this item before I open it to public comment? Seeing at the moment, this is a um, public hearing item since we pulled it off um, of the consent agenda. Is there anyone present at City Hall who would like to make a comment on this particular item? No, Mayor. No, Mayor. Mayor Fingal, I thank you, Sherry. If any person online would like to make comment on this item, please raise your hand using the raise your hand, raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you. Chris Flowers. Hi, um, this is Chris Flowers and I kind of came in late and I might be off on some of this stuff, but it just sounded like um, that these changes would, uh, that we would allow a bar to expand into a, a, a vacant business next to it, but we would not let a new bar open up a new business in it. I mean, if that's the case, this just sounds like some of this is about preventing competition from bars. Like I, I think it's kind of crappy that we limit the number of bars we have downtown. I mean, I say kudos to the Chamber of Commerce, but it just sounds like it's manipulating businesses. Like it's it, it it definitely helps the bars that are already down there, but it would make it harder to open up a new bar. I mean, if you're on the outside looking in, it doesn't do much good for you at all. Uh, I, I just wanted to throw that out there. Thank you. That's all the public comment, Mayor. Uh, I thank you. I'll bring it back to the commission. Um, for any comments or motions, I would, I would echo, um, Vice Mayor Shipley's um, enthusiasm for this particular amendment. I do think non-conforming uses, and I've dealt with those in lots of variety of ways over my last 20 years practicing law, and it is not the easiest of um, situations. So having a little flexibility um, to to have some abilities to, you know, at least even through the SUP process, to make some changes, um, I do think will help us in the long run. Long run. Um, certainly in historic preservation type areas and keeping some of the unique features of our town, some of the most unique features of our town are non-conforming. And so having some options there, I think is useful. And so I look forward to seeing how this um, process works. But other comments or motions? Vice Mayor Shipley, I'll, I'll motion if I can do it right. Um, I make a motion to approve text amendment TA 
210-221-0021 to the City of Lawrence Land Development Code to allow greater flexibility for expansions of non-conforming uses. You wanna do and adopt on first oh. reading? Oh, yeah, and adopt on first reading. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what I'm looking at. Okay, there it is. Ordinance number 9880. Commissioner Nanda, a second. Mayor Finkelai, a motion by Vice Mayor Shipley, a second by Commissioner Nanda. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Nanda? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkelai, aye. Passes five to zero. That brings us to public comment. The public is allowed to speak on items or issues that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Individuals should address all comments and questions to the commission. Each person will be limited to three minutes. To begin with, is there any person at City Hall who would like to make general public comment on an item not on the agenda? Yes, there is, Mayor. Go right ahead to the podium. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Sage Matthews. I was here once before in August. I didn't get to meet uh, Commissioner Larson at that time. My father was a city commissioner, so I know very little about whatever, but that's what I know. I'm here to ask that we bring towels to the community centers for the homeless who shower there. If we can afford $300,000 plus for art at the police stations, surely we can afford towels for the homeless when they shower at, at the community centers. Uh, other than that, we are, I, I am homeless and my friends and I when we need to use a restroom in the middle of the night, if we can't make it to where there is a 24-hour convenience store, uh, right now downtown, uh, it's either a bar, if it's open late enough, and or if it's willing to let us in. Uh, but more frequently, it's the, what we will lovingly call Johnny on the spots, the uh, mobile toilets in the uh, parking lot across from the library and the one in the lot south it's my understanding that the two bathrooms that are on the north side of the parking garage the parking garage public parking garage south of the library there are two bathrooms there that have heat and and air conditioning when those are appropriate it's my understanding those aren't being used because at some point they were being used and were abused. Um, if we could have those unlocked and or monitored, and if someone were to abuse them, told please don't do that again, and or simply if you abuse it, you won't get to use it. But it seems odd I'm not sure the word I'm looking for, but that one or whatever number of people who abused it, now no one gets to use it at all. And it has been below 40 degrees pretty much every night for the last several days. 
and using a mobile toilet in that weather is miserable and it's only going to get worse as we go forward if we could have those bathrooms unlocked and monitored that would be great if the city could find the money for towels for the homeless so that they would not have to provide their own at the community centers that would be wonderful also thank you jeremy roth cool or Cushel, sorry that's okay uh jeremy jeremy roth Cushel, uh lawrence kansas city commissioners i want to make general comment on two issues i am very concerned about uh, a few weeks ago I made a comment about the city's uh, via the police department's UAV and drone policy in terms of its apparent, uh, you apparently being what I said over your head in relationship to the problems of the, our town's cybersecurity and civil rights. Now I believe it's much worse than that, that we're now looking at something like severe negligence uh, I have now discovered uh, not I haven't heard any of this from any local press, whether Lawrence Journal World or the upcoming Lawrence Times. Um, but I am aware now that the uh, city via the police made a contract with uh, an Israeli security company, uh, AI video technology company called Briefcam. I only found out about this from BuzzFeed News and the Electronic Frontier Foundation. I will follow up on these comments uh, with a, an email to uh, all uh, parties that, that are uh, responsible for this. Um, this is, comes in the wake of the uh, Human Rights Watch uh, Institute declaring that the state of Israel is engaged in ongoing apartheid. Okay, that is the obvious moral concern here, that any Lorenzian of conscience will understand that we are in the midst of something like using technology from something like the apartheid white supremacist government of South Africa that the Israeli government worked with while it was an apartheid government to use technology that was originated to track the black citizens of apartheid South Africa then in this case now for occupied Palestinians. But now this is being imported into Lawrence and into police departments that have shown some of the most severe violence actually around the country such as Minneapolis, such as uh, New Orleans. This is a very bad sign. I would insist that this basically, the use of this Israeli-born brief cam system by the Lawrence Police Department disqualifies it as a trustworthy actor to roll out and advise and be responsible for upholding policy for increasing tools of spying and surveillance. And I, as a Jewish American patriot of conscience who publicly addresses these topics regularly, both on the internet and on terrestrial radio in the area, and who has been targeted for assault and wrongful arrest by security and law enforcement paid off by local Israeli partisans in the Jewish institutional community do not feel safe with this technology deployed in our city. So that's, I want the city to begin to look at this. I'm going to send this out both to the police department and the city and the, our local media. Secondly, really briefly, very concerned about the ongoing uprising of the uh, apparent Pfizer apartheid that we are now going to be facing in relationship to children. Did you say time? Okay, I, I will address this all uh, on uh, public comment uh, via email and we'll uh, follow up next week. Thank you very much.
Chris Flowers. Hi, um, this is Chris Flowers, and I, I just wanted to say I support the the I guess, I think it was the first commenter about um, the the bathrooms, and also I just like to ask where. I, I wouldn't mind seeing more porta potties throughout the city, but if you're not going to, maybe you should look at the ordinance about public urination. I'm just saying that that's one argument why we should be doing away with that ordinance. Thank you. That's all the public comment, Mayor. Mayor Finkelai, thank you. That takes us to the regular agenda items. And regular agenda item one is to consider adopting resolution 7398 related to the winter shelter. And Brandon, are you kicking this off? Yes, uh, good evening, Mayor and City Commissioners. Um, this is Assistant City Manager Brandon McGuire. Um, I have a few uh, brief comments this evening just about this item um, and then we'll stand for uh, maybe comments from Chief Coffey um, and then questions from the commissioners. Uh, this item before you is a resolution that would um, temporarily, uh, the effect would be to temporarily suspend enforcement of elements of the Land Development Code, um, city or the International Building Code and the International Fire Code um, that would prevent uh, temporary shelter, overnight sheltering in two of our recreation facilities. Um, the suspension would apply only to the community building and the East Lawrence Recreation Center and would only, um, the only elements of the code that would prohibit overnight sheltering in those facilities would be uh, temporarily suspended. Um, the purpose of this resolution is related to our winter emergency shelter program. Um, the Winter Emergency Shelter Program is something that a uh, team of city staff uh, members and several um, community partners from agencies and also from the advocacy community have been working to on a number of different options uh, to organize for this coming winter. Uh, we actually opened um, with a 40-person uh, occupancy limit at the community building last night. Um, and so we did have uh, some of our um, employees down there uh, uh, staffing the, the site last night. Um, so uh, we, we are in the season where um, temperatures are now at a point where uh, we find it necessary to go ahead and, and open up and start providing that emergency sheltering option for folks who need it. Um, the sort of the general um, plan for the shelter is outlined in the executive summary of the agenda memo. Um, but in, in essence, basically, this is a program that we expect to run uh, from now through the end of winter. Um, the resolution actually covers the period of November 3rd through March 31st, just knowing that um, even though spring ends uh, in mid-March, sometimes we still see some winter weather uh, through the end of March, um, and sometimes even a little bit later than that. Um, so that is, that is generally the operating period. Uh, the plan will be enacted uh, with sites open on nights where um, the, the forecasted temperatures are expected to drop uh, to 35 degrees or colder. Um, that'll be determined as published in the Lawrence Journal World each morning. Um, this, uh, this sheltering program is going to be staffed uh, by um, city employees who will serve as site coordinators. 
Uh, and there, we have a few employees um, who uh, served in this function last year uh, for some of our winter sheltering programs, um, including Camp Woody. Um, so they do have some experience uh, working in this capacity, and they're you know, they're really just stepping up uh, to do this out of the, the good of their own heart and meet this um, this urgent need in the community. So our hats are off to them. They're actually down there right now, uh, getting ready for tonight. Um, the uh, the general hours of the shelter will be um, 8 p.m. That's when uh, the doors will open to start accepting guests for the night. And uh, the guests will need to exit by 7 a.m. Uh, the following morning each day that the shelter is open. Uh, we're able to um, accommodate uh, the, the sheltering operations in those two properties, the community building and East Lawrence Rec Center, uh, because our uh, park and rec staff uh, did, did some good work to try to consolidate programming, especially our evening programming and early morning programming, um, out of those buildings into some of our other recreation facilities in order to um, try to try to maintain service levels as best we can with recreation programs, but also um, step up and meet this need. Um, and then finally, uh, funding from the shelter um, is is uh, coming from our um, budget savings within the Parks and Recreation Department. Um, and we also have some uh, some budget that's identified uh, for the 2022 fiscal year, which um, obviously does not begin until January 1st. Um, so with adoption of this resolution, we would anticipate approximately 75 uh, overnight guests um, on the nights where we do open the buildings. And that would be 75 per building, which would give us a total capacity of around 150 people. Um, and then uh, we are working with um, Family Promise and with the Lawrence Community Shelter to provide a little bit of additional capacity as well for some overflow um, overflow needs. Uh, the, if, if we find ourselves at a point this winter where we need um, yet more capacity than that, um, then we're really going to look to our community. We lost you there, Brandon. Mary, can you hear me? Sorry about that. My phone hung up on me. So, um, so, so I was just saying uh, we'll have capacity for approximately 150 people between the two sites. Um, an additional 10 at the Lawrence Community Shelter and uh, Family Promise is uh, going to be sheltering families with young children um, through some of their partner uh, network um, so, so that they'll be able to take, uh, we think maybe about 10 to 12 um, families, if families with young children show up. And so uh, any additional capacity, we'd really look to some of our uh, community partners, especially religious institutions to be able to step up and meet um, that additional capacity need. And so that's that's the extent of my presentation this evening. Uh, we do have um, a number of city staff who have worked on this. Um, it is, uh, I'll admit, sort of an awkward, uh, blunt tool uh, to meet this need, but time is of the essence, and we wanted to make sure that the commission had an option to uh, support this expanded sheltering capacity if desired. Mayor Finkeldye, thank you for that. Um, questions? for Brandon or Chief Coffey or any other staff on this particular item. 
Yes, Commissioner Bowley. It's my understanding that in the past, the Lawrence Community Shelter encouraged people from around our region to come to Lawrence to be sheltered. Is this the practice now at the Lawrence Community Shelter and will it be the practice for the winter emergency shelter? This is Assistant City Manager Brandon McGuire. Um, thanks for the question, Commissioner Bowley. I did uh, communicate with Interim Executive Director uh, Melissa Botts at the Lawrence Community Shelter and uh, just, just to try to learn about their intake practices a little bit. And um, they did, uh, I, we, we can't speak for um, past practice. She's only been there for about a year now, um, but uh, she did share with me that um, they do, or that, that they do not encourage people from other communities to come to their shelter, um, but sometimes they do receive people from other communities who have traveled um, for, for any number of reasons uh, and are seeking shelter at LCS. And so they have an intake uh, questionnaire that they go through um, with anybody who arrives and seeks um, shelter at their, at their facility. And one of the first questions is, um, is trying to understand where they came from and, and try to find options other than their shelter for them to stay. Um, a, a congregate shelter is obviously a, a place of last resort. Um, and a lot of times I think as they do some case management, um, some social work with those folks who show up seeking shelter, they may be able to find other options, um, whether it's in other communities um, or with friends or family members as part of their support system. And we do plan on um, uh, running a similar sort of intake process. Um, you know, we're, these are gonna be gym floor, you know, spots on, on gym floors. Um, it's not ideal. And if we can help folks get to a, a better option, even if that's um, a safe couch surfing option, uh, for example, staying with friends and family, then we're gonna try to help them do that. Ms. Commissioner Bowley, thank you, Brent. May I think any other questions? Vice Mayor Shirley, since Chief Coffee is here, I mean, I, I'm sure we all looked at what we're suspending, but um, just for my peace of mind, if I could have Chief tell me that everybody's going to be safe, even though we're suspending some very technical <laughs> um, items, uh, and obviously uh, for the better, I I would appreciate that. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Shipley, Sean Coffey, Fire Chief for the Fire Medical Department. Uh, I would tell you, Commissioner Shipley and, and Commissioners, that uh, we did not support the suspension of the, the IBC or the IFC. We believe that the current land development code that has the occupancy limit of 40 is a good uh, practice to go with. That has been revised over a number of years. Originally, it was 20. Last year, we changed it from 20 to 40. And I'm sure Amy Miller and uh, Division Chief King can talk in more depth about that. But I am concerned about the, the, the safety. I believe it's very important that we get these people out of the inclement weather and into an area that's safe. We realize these facilities that they're moving into are assemblies. And when we talk about this, we're talking about use, building use. And this use of this was in this public assembly. This designed for people that are there during the day when they're awake and it has the systems that go with that. Unfortunately, right now in the community building, there's a sprinkler system that's in the basement that's not on the first floor, and there's not even a, a fire detection system within the building. Same way with East Lawrence Community Center. So we would have recommended that the city work within the current uh, building code 
and the fire code to make the revisions to ensure the safety for all these individuals that are staying at that location. Any other questions at this point? Stop before we have commission discussion. We'll open it up to public comment. Any member of the public president at City Hall like to make comment on this item? Yes, yes, Mayor, go right ahead. Good evening again, and again, my name is Sage Matthews, and I am homeless in Lawrence. I can answer a few of your questions, and I assure you before I leave tonight, I will leave my name and contact information with your city clerk, and I encourage any and all of you to contact me in the near future. Number one, um, I, I don't even know where to start. If the fire chief, or uh, I'm sorry, the, whatever your title, if you're telling me that this is not a safe code building to be in, that is the last place I want to be. Um, my concern at first was simply there's too many people, and, and that is a mess. Anyway, um, as far as people coming here, I came here myself because I was encouraged to go to Burton Nash based on my mental health issues and was told it was the best. I've had nothing but problems. I've got dozens of stories of people having problems with Burt Nash. Where the shelter itself is concerned, Lawrence Community Shelter, I was there less than three weeks ago. There are at least, at least 10 empty beds in the quarantine area not being used for over two weeks while I was there. There are many, many beds in the other area, this shall we say the standard area outside of the quarantine area that are very, very crowded and it is very upsetting to be in them. And I can go on and on and I won't. You, we've got three minutes tonight, but uh, folks, if you want the perspective of a man who's homeless in Lawrence, please contact me. I honestly, no embellishment, after two weeks in that shelter recently, I checked into the Lawrence Memorial because I was suicidal. I could not take another minute of what was going on in that shelter. And when I got to Lawrence Memorial, I was diagnosed COVID positive, which I eventually proved was not true. I met someone else who same, had no symptoms, was diagnosed COVID positive and was not. Whether that was a false negative or we're putting out positives for numbers, I don't know, but please contact me. I, I've been through a living hell even in the last two weeks and I did not come here for free stuff. I came here for services. Have a good night. Mayor, there's no other comment here in the room. Everything alive. If any member of the public on Zoom would like to make public comment, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you. There's no public comment. Mayor Finkelai, I'll bring it back to the commission for discussion, comments. Um, I guess I'll, I'll lead off, you know, certainly 
first of all, I want to thank Brandon and a whole slew of service providers who I know have been working on this for a long period of time. Um, and, you know, we've, this is an issue that does not have an easy solution. Um, you know, obviously, a couple of years ago, we, we used the option of, um, you know, church basements. And then we used an option last year of a hotel. And now we're looking um, to try to find what's the best way to do, you know, best way to do this. And certainly I know Brandon contacted the churches. And I know some of the churches we used two years ago because of COVID and other reasons have said no. So we don't have that option available to us. And so when, when we start to look at options um, that are on the table, and, and one option would be not having a winter shelter, that's not a good option. Um, you know, do we have other options on the table? And so I, I very much appreciate, um, you know, coming up with these options. And I certainly understand um, and respect um, Chief Coffee and in their position on this. I mean, we do have these codes for a reason. Um, you know, I will say that I was on the planning commission when Family Promise originally started, and there was a request to allow people to sleep at churches. And, and again, possibly rightfully so, uh, the fire department was against that in that the codes do not, again, generally allow in assemblages, just like Chief Coffey said, in church buildings don't necessarily expect people to be sleeping there. And that was about 11 years ago. And um, I think we've had good success with Family Promise um, since that time. And um, I, I do think, although I don't um, certainly fault the code of Chief Coffey's position, I think when we are um, comparing having people sleep on the street um, and, and looking for a different option. Um, I, I think this is a good option. These are gymnasiums with exits. Um, and last two years ago, we were in basements of churches um, where you didn't have any outside exits right away, even with the 40 people. Um, and so I feel these um, options on gymnasium floors, open space with outside exits are, are certainly safer. And so. Um, I'm certainly going to support this and appreciate the work and, and of, of our employees. And, um, you know, obviously our goal is not to have people sleeping on the floor of gymnasiums, just like it's not to have them camping in the cold. Our goal is to get people housed. And we've adopted a budget um, starting in 2022 that is going to work diligently on that effort. And I look forward to that. And obviously, um, the sooner we can get that going, the better. Um, we're also looking at um, both federal and state money to help us along the way. And we're doing some great plans going forward. And of course, we have lots of partners in the community who are working on this issue. Um, some will continue to encourage to do more and some will continue to work with. Um, but this is a tough issue. Um, but you know where we are today, given our options, um, I'm certainly going to support this and appreciate the efforts um, that we've that got us to this point and that the effort is going to take to keep everybody safe, both from the cold and from other situations going forward. Other comments? Vice Mayor Shipley, um, maybe I could get uh, Brandon or Craig to verify. Um, um, and of course, it's um, an enormous sacrifice for our staff to um, do this um, kind of work because it's not really what their original jobs were. Um, 
but I, I, I understood that some of these um, jobs have been advertised or were advertised last year to try to get some people maybe who were qualified um, to be working in these situations. Can you verify that for me? This is Assistant City Manager Brandon McGuire. Um, we did last year. We uh, had paid positions, um, and we, there were three different programs last year. Um, just to clarify, one was under contract with Lawrence Community Shelter, um, and they ran the Econolodge Shelter, which um, sheltered up to about eighty people. So, they, so that was a fully professional shelter. Um, uh, and actually, I, I believe Melissa Botts was um, the program director for that. Um, then we had the Woody Park uh, campsite which was 20 tents, um, and that was staffed primarily by um, our Parks and Rec staff, um, in particular, Stephen Mason, uh, who runs the East Lawrence Rec Center and a number, a number of our east side and downtown facilities. Um, and uh, Stephen did uh, recruit um, for open positions throughout the winter last year. Um, we ended up offering 20 plus dollars an hour uh, for those overnight positions and still found it very difficult to fill those positions. I had a lot of interest, but when it came time to make the commitment, it was, we, we, we had a, you know quite a few applicants back, back out. Um, and then we had the Days In Shelter, uh, which in, expanded to a couple of other sites uh, due to, to the demand of that, of that program. And that was staffed primarily by volunteers. Um, especially uh, Tony Kaufman and John Crable, um, who have a, a, you know, numerous years of history running um, the sheltering programs. Uh, and so um, they worked tirelessly um, night after night running that shelter program um, and serving a, a ton of people on almost, almost exclusively a volunteer force. Um, I will say we did have um, good partners with the hotels. Um, so so they weren't uh, they weren't completely alone um the uh, the the ownership of the hotel and, and the staff of the hotels um you know they did a lot of uh cleaning kind of security um and and other you know other aspects of just running a hotel property that did help to provide more structure and uh, security for those uh, for those hotel-based programs um so it wasn't in, entirely it was a it was a blend of a blended effort, I guess. This year, we we do um, we'll have some paid site coordinators, which will primarily be our city staff. At this point, we're going to continue recruiting people, and we've we've uh, reached out through a number of different venues um, to recruit uh, both volunteers and some uh, some additional uh, paid site coordinators. Um, those site coordinators will primarily work, uh, we we think, under contract. Um, so they would not be employees of the city, um, but we would be able to give them a stipend uh, to help, you know, I guess, help make it worth their while um, over the next three to four months as they spend their nights running those shelter sites. I think I have comments, questions, motions. This is Commissioner Nona Mayor. I don't think that we can add much to what you had to say. I think that you made some really important points. So I would be happy unless folks have something to say to go ahead and make that motion. 
I move that we adopt resolution number 7398, temporarily suspending enforcement of certain provisions in the Land Development Code, International Building Code, and International Fire Code from November 3rd, 2021 to March 31st, 2022, to allow overnight winter emergency sheltering in the Community Building and East Lawrence Recreation Center. Commissioner Larson, second. Mayor Finkelberg, there's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda? Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Um, Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye. Passes five to zero. Again, thanks everyone for their work on this and um, we'll uh, keep plugging through this difficult time. Thank you on that. That brings us to the end of the regular agenda and that brings us to commission items. Do any commissioners have any commission items? Ms. Commissioner Bully. Um, we need to thank the folks that we've appointed to the board of Lawrence Memorial Hospital for their service. We know, trust, and rely upon the LMH board of directors, and they serve our community well. No, they don't. Sorry. They don't. Mayor Finkelai, any other commission items? Okay, seeing none, that brings us to the city manager's report. Greg? Thank you, Mayor. Uh, good evening, uh, City Manager Craig Owens. Uh, there's a few update items on there. One that um, you don't see as often, but it's the season of um, reporting our preparations for um, snow and ice control plan. Um, <clears throat> They, the, it does outline some um, some modifications to the way we're going to approach it this year, uh, mainly to approach it from a budgetary standpoint, uh, but also just to kind of raise awareness for the considerable operation that we run each time and kind of don't know when it's going to come, but each time it snows or we see uh, ice uh, approaching, uh, there's quite an effort that goes into that uh, to, to keep things safe. Happy to answer any questions. There are probably some people that could give you more information, detail if you'd like, but that was the one I wanted to, to highlight and bring your attention to. Obviously, the financial report and sales tax report um, have some noteworthy items. Mayor Finkley, any questions for Craig on those items? Thanks, Mayor Shipley. Yeah, since I see Dave there, if, if he's the right person to ask, I might ask him a question. I would also say I'm very excited to have the beet juice here. I know I think uh, Commissioner Larson was always, always always asking about that for several years. Um, uh, Dave, um, I did I did I did read the plan, um, but you've been doing this for many many years. Um, are you expecting um, uh, any uh, complaints from? Um, uh, I don't any particular people you hear from every year. For example, if you're not fast enough, um, is there is there any anticipation you have, or um, or do you think this will this will be pretty smooth? Uh, Dave Wagner, director for the MSO. Courtney, could you go over that one more time, what you're looking for? I, would, yeah. I just stepped out of the room for a second, so I missed the tail end or the beginning of it. So, 
you're fine. I'm sorry. Um, Vice Mayor Shipley. Um, I, I just know sometimes uh, with inclement weather, there might be, you know, certain people you hear right. from every year that, that if you're not fast enough, they call you. Um, and and I, I think the plan you have here is, is really good. And I, and I, and I would also say that I, I've heard some discussion about this in past years, um, maybe stepping down um, uh, the extent to which we do this you do this um so i wonder what what do you anticipate will happen do you think this will be pretty smooth or do you think you'll hear from kind of regular people you would normally hear from what, what do you anticipate uh, again dave wagner director for municipal services and operations we have tim cast on who's he, he gets the brunt of that um as lead net operations but I, I would tell you that you know i think we anticipate some feedback on that and honestly a couple of years ago i got some feedback from people i know about some improvements we had made with the service and that they had gotten their streets done when they hadn't before. I think we think it's in keeping with a, a reasonable level of service. Also, obviously, in in times of, of fiscal constraint, we need to be appropriate with that. And, you know, I, I, I think the, uh, um, I have a lot of family up in Wyoming and they, they, they think we're crazy with the way we move snow. So, um, you know, it just depends on where you're at. If you're in Dallas, two inches is a snowstorm and, um, you know, where my daughter lives, two feet's like, well, that's just an inconvenience for a couple of hours. But uh, um, I don't know if Tim has anything else to add. I, I would kind of comment and I think we anticipate some feedback on that. Uh, but I think we're trying to be responsible with the public dollar, still keep the place safe, um, you know, and, and who knows, maybe there won't be any snow this year. You know, we go through those cycles as well. So I don't know, Tim, if you've got anything else to add, I'll let you do that. Uh, Tim Cast, MSO Field Manager. Um, usually, you know, we get calls from people that live on hills and things like that. So we're, we're hopefully addressing that uh, preemptively and uh i don't know it's uh worth a shot we're gonna try it out and see if it works out hope for the best i guess and and you know pre be prepared for the worst how about that mayor Pinkle, i i'll say i was at the cub scout meeting last night and you know when you go out to these meetings you know, they always ask you some interesting questions. And one of the questions I've been asked before is, well, City Commission, do they plow your streets first? And I'm always like, no, they don't plow my street first. So I checked the plan out and I'm still not a priority street. So um, that's fine. I appreciate that. But they ask some of the best questions. But I also am excited about the beet juice. Uh, I think the beet juice will be fun. And I appreciate all you do, um, Tim and your crew. Um, you know, when all of us are hunkering down, you, you guys are out there on the streets. And finally, I'll say, back up what Dave said, my daughter, my oldest daughter is at the University of Wyoming, and they've already had two two two-inch snows. And, you know, they, that's just Paul for the course, you know. Just brush off your seat at the football game and keep going. Um, so it's definitely depends where you're at. So appreciate your efforts. Um, other comments on any of the the city manager's report. This is a public hearing item. If any member of the public would like to speak on any of these five items on the city commission's report, please let Sherry know. Or raise your hand on the Zoom and she will call upon you.
There is no public comment on this item. Mayor Pinkola, thank you, Sherry. Um, that brings us to the calendar. Any comments on the calendar? Seeing none, that brings us to adjournment. Ms. Commissioner Noda, I move to adjourn. Vice Mayor Shipley, second. Mayor Finkelai, there's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Vice Mayor Shipley. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Bowley? Aye. Mayor Finkelai, aye. Passes five to zero. We will see you next week and good luck to everyone tonight during the elections. Good luck to all the candidates.